Hey, what's going on, folks? Ty, Breaker Culture, part of the Bench Clear Media Sports Card Network. And today I have a special episode for you. This past Sunday night, Mike and I sat down and had a live conversation with the CEO of Collectible. Uh, I had Ezra on my podcast, if you don't recall, back in October, where he was just rolling out him and the team, the Collectible platform, which is a fractional sports card platform. And, um, it seems like an eternity ago when we last talked, but this past week, we had a conversation just talking about the pure insanity that's happened in the hobby the last five months and really how they've been in the middle of it with a lot of big time uh, cards and, and IPOs they've rolled out. And we just talk about how it's been going for them. We, we take a lot of questions from the audience and, and it's an hour and 22 minutes of uh, just conversation about the market. We learn a lot more about collectible, what they're figuring out, all the SEC regulations and all that good stuff. Um, so I just wanna apologize first off, it is a live conversation. So we have a couple of technical difficulties that we do work through, but just be patient. I didn't edit any of it. I just wanted you to have the entire conversation here for, uh, for your enjoyment. So hope you do enjoy it. Also pay close attention the next three episodes on the breaker culture bench clear channel um, are going to be absolutely awesome you're going to love them three great interviews coming up back to back to back and uh i think you'll be excited to see some of the content rolling your way all right enjoy your week and enjoy this conversation with ceo ezra levine of collectible what's up mike i'm excited for my first live stream ever man this is going to be fun <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah you're just a veteran uh I, I like how we text each other about 30 minutes before like hey we got our notes ready right and we're both like whatever yeah please we got this i have no notes i'm i'm going into this with no notes i got lots of notes so i'll hold up oh, let's just get right to the point tonight yes. we have a great guest a great topic a topic that i don't think you were excited about maybe two months ago, but I think as things have evolved, uh, we're going to use that word evolve and evolution a lot tonight. I think you're more excited about it. Fractional yeah. shares in the marketplace in the sports car marketplace. I think it's a fascinating idea. Um, where does it fit? And there's a lot of different new ideas being sprung on the hobby because it's so hot because everybody's talking about it, but because it's cool to be a collector now. It's cool to own baseball cards again and sports cards. Uh, you're not just the nerd in your mom's basement anymore. And it's becoming way, way more mainstream. And there are a lot of people looking to you know, get a piece of that. And I don't blame them. So that's what we're, we're going to look at a piece of that tonight. Uh, absolutely. And I'm going to go ahead and let people know that we are live. So give me two seconds here. All right. Uh, yeah, so I, I had the pleasure of having Ezra, a CEO of Collectible, on the Breaker Culture podcast back uh, in October. Ezra was awesome to talk to. If you if you haven't heard that interview, go back and you can hear kind of the origins of Collectible. We'll probably get into some of that tonight too. But uh, when I reached out to Ezra to get on our live show, he didn't hesitate and said he would love to talk about some cool stuff they got coming out with Collectible in the next uh, in the next few days, but also just what's been happening in the last five months with the pure craziness. At collectible in the sports car world so let's bring him on ezra how are you what's up guys how are you <laughs> doing good uh how's the how's the bandwidth doing are we gonna buffer out again that, that new york I, I hope not over here so, <laughs> so far so so strong so we'll we'll have to see as it goes along 
Yes. Well, people don't know right before we started, Mike and Ezra are already getting at it. Mike is, a, is an anti-Yankees guy. Ezra's defending his territory. I'm glad we cleared the air before this thing was live. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not even going to. I'm just going to not participate. Well, look, I'll, I'll say this. Mike uh, proclaims to be a Yankee hater, but then he started uh, spouting off about his card collection. I started asking him, what are the key pieces in your collection? The very first card he referenced was a Mickey Mantle. A Mickey Mantle 51 Bowman, right? So while he may hate the team, he both loves the actual city of New York. He mentioned that as well. And he loves Mantle. So he can't be that much of a hater. Fair enough. All are, all of those are true statements. I don't know what to say. I have no I have no comeback to that. So no doubt. Well, l- let's start with the most important topic, and that is baseball starting. We're yeah. all excited about that. Uh, and what the heck with the sports car market? I would love to know, Ezra, kind of your quick take on heading into baseball season. What's your what you're thinking about the sports car market? You're seeing it from a totally different perspective, so I'm really interested. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think I think what, what we're seeing is some real strength across the board, right? Obviously, you know, first I want to start off by uh, you know real hat tip to Ken Golden and to Golden Auctions last night for. Uh, you know, what I think simply was just a gangbusters auction, right? And I think it surpassed all of our expectations. You know, I'm thrilled for collectible shareholders. We had a couple major uh, comps in last night's auction. We had a PSA 8, uh, which wound up selling for, I think, $1.6 million. Just for a little context, we take one step back. Collectible IPO'd uh, a PSA uh, 8 as well, 52 tops mantle, just earlier this month, right? I think it was January 1st or 2nd for 485000 right? So almost a four-bagger off of where Collectible IPO just earlier this month. There was also a Jordan PSA 1086 Fleer, of course, um, which sold for seven, what, 738000 just for a little context. Again, just to show you how the, the velocity of this market. Just last week, last week, Collectible announced a record-breaking buyout offer on this PSA 8, sorry, on this PSA 10 Jordan for uh, 265000 265000 Fast forward one week. And we're talking $738,000, right? So, you know, what, what I've said consistently for the past couple of months, and I, you know, I think we're seeing it now. I, you know, I think I'd be lying to you if I said that the pace at which we're seeing it has not surprised me. But look, I think you have a convergence of two massive tailwinds, really bullish tailwinds for this industry happening at one time, right? So first is just the widespread consumer adoption of sports collectibles, right? It is now being viewed uh, in some veins as a third-headed monster to fantasy sports and sports gambling, right? You have, you know, you have companies like Barstool getting into it. You have companies like The Ringer who just announced the podcast. You have Gary Vee is touting sports cards every single day, right? So there's just a lot of eyeballs on this category, which is very exciting. Um, I think the, the most underrated trend, though, especially the high ends of the market, and this is something where again, I'm not surprised that this happened. Again, I am surprised by the pace at it, uh, is there's just a tremendous amount of money that is coming into this system, right? Think about it. There are tens of trillions of dollars, tens of trillions of dollars that are almost passively being invested uh, in alternatives, right? And a lot of those other alternatives, uh, you know, are not as high yielding as they used to be, whether it's real estate, whether it's commodities, um, whether it's interest rates being as low as they are, some of the money that used to go into bonds 
or fixed income are now flowing into alternatives like sports cards, sports collectibles. So again, a really powerful sort of double-headed uh, tailwinds for this market, widespread consumer adoption and financial um, you know, money just coming into the system. And I think that's really what you're seeing. But again, uh, you know, just, just a tremendous sign of support for the industry. And really what I think it does is it shines a very bright light on fractional platforms like Collectible and the, the, the real need for companies like ourselves to provide exposure to the upper end of the industry in a way that's affordable, right? That is, um, you know, that doesn't have this massive barrier to entry with the price points. So, you know, I think all roads are leading back to fractional. I like where we stand. Uh, I'm thrilled about the support that the, uh, that the hobby is receiving. But again, you know, I think it's important that we look out for the collectors and make sure that people are not priced out of this industry. And that's where collectible really comes in. Woo! Drop the mic. Thanks for having us on your show tonight, Ezra. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was great, Mike. I know you have a thousand things you want to ask right now. To that point, oh, I don't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you have the table for a second. Bring it on, Mike. Bring it on. <laughs> well, the the truth is, you know, I'm a collector, and I look at this idea and I go, okay, I get it. There's so many different things coming into the hobby. Um, I, how do you, first of all, let me ask you this simple, very simple question for those out there that don't know or haven't heard of this. I, I want to give you, I want to, do I deposit money and I open an account, I deposit money and I can use it to buy fractional shares of different IPOs that you have scheduled out in time. Yep. Am I limited on how many shares I can buy? Am I, how does that work? Just the yeah. basic nuts and bolts. You got it. Yeah. So let's 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 start from the very basics here, right? So effectively, what you're doing is you're opening up a brokerage account. Right? It just so happens that the brokerage account you're opening up is to invest in sports collectibles, not publicly traded securities or collectibles application. You download it up. You go through a very he's buffering uh -oh. pretty good, isn't he? Uh -oh. Once the verification is. Once you stop right there, real quick. Guys, am I, am I still there? Right. Now, you, am I back? You're back. Let's make sure you're really back. You're kind of back. <laughs> make sure you explain this the right way. He's frozen. He's fro he's frozen. Uh, and that's okay. We'll let him we'll let him come back. He'll he'll figure yeah. it out. Um so I take it you have not jumped in, even looked at the app or anything, Mike. Have you, have I you have done? actually, I did. Okay. Um, and you see, I think Emmett Smith's on the cover page, right? Cause he's one of their sponsors. And so, yeah, I mean, I've looked at it and especially in the line of work that I do, I'm, I was very intrigued by it. It's, it's not a question of, I'm not trying to sit here and just, I don't want to slam on the idea. People can do with their money, whatever they want. Uh, <laughs> whenever you have cricket internet, um, <laughs> I just have been like, okay, let's see how this plays out for a little while. I've been taking a wait and see mindset towards it. Sure. Uh, Ezra, we'll let you, are you, how you, can you talk? Can we see if you're, you're fully back? Oh boy. It's always good. <laughs> Ezra, come back. Am I back, Am I back? You're back. You're back. I'm back. I'm back. All right. You're sorry. So this is yeah. 
This is like a brokerage account. And from that point on, you so started to vanish. It's like, it's like a brokerage account, right? So you open up a brokerage account effectively through collectible, uh, except this brokerage account is used to invest in iconic sports collectibles, not stocks. Right? So you go through a very short verification process. And, uh, and that's effectively all you need to do. Right. You, you need to link some sort of payment mechanism, either ACH and credit card. Uh, and then you, you wait for our IPOs. We have generally been doing them roughly, you know, three to five days per week. We ran into a little bit of a delay with the SEC. We're waiting on 42 offerings to be qualified by the SEC. That's one of the pain points of our business. We can talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, we're, we're going to be doing pretty much an IPO every day uh, over the next couple months. In addition to that, we are launching our secondary market. We're incredibly excited about this secondary market component of the application. So starting very soon within the next week, there's going to be a lot of activity on the collectible platform, a lot of activity. And we're, we're tremendously excited about that. Killer. Yeah, I, I do want to get into the secondary market much more in depth here in a little bit. And, and, and also, I know you will have some questions, Mike, probably around the SEC qualifications. But in terms of just the elementary components of you're putting, you're not even really putting money in an account at this point, right? You get your collectible app, the 52 mantle comes up. The first 15 minutes, you have the ability to purchase up to X amount of shares in the IPO. And then after that, it starts to open up and you can purchase really, depending on the cap, as much as you want in that, in that card. And the second you do that, you own those fractional shares in that, in that particular item. That simple, right? Yes. Yes. It's that simple. simple. <laughs> I can say that with conviction because I've done it. Oh, poor Ezra. Poor Ezra. I'm back. I think, guys. I don't. I don't know why it's. Uh, it's not. But anyway, yeah. So, so to Ty's point, which I believe I heard, is that we do limit how many shares people can purchase for periods of time. Right. So for the first 15 minutes. Uh, they and there he went. So for the first 15 minutes, uh, no, but I, here's a question that I, yeah. I want to ask him when he comes back. So I don't want to be too redundant, but he just said something that just made my skin crawl. Oh he said that you can open an account and link a credit card to it. Why does that make your skin crawl? You shouldn't be buying cards with debt. Well, who says, see that? That's a big assumption people always make as if people don't put things on credit card and pay it off at the end of the month. It's not, I, I'm not saying they, they don't, I don't know what they do with it at the end, but in my experience, 23 years of being a financial planner, very few, very few people, especially with a, uh, if look, people that are going to be attracted to this are going to have that gambler mindset. Let's just be, I mean, not all of them. I'm not saying this is exclusive or, or universal, but People are going to want to, oh, I can take this and turn it around. And, and they don't, I don't think a lot of people, even though I'm sure they disclose, 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 but the liquidity of this is, it doesn't, I mean, it's not as liquid as people think it is in terms of it. You know, um, it's not like they're going to sell the card next week. They might, right? They might, but they might not. And you could link a debit card. Okay, fine. Link a debit card. That makes sense. Um, and that's fine because that's paying essentially with cash, right? I think you're you're going to try to find some ways just to be irritated with this already. I can already no, see. No, that's not true. I'm open-minded. 
<laughs> he can be an open-minded. There's Ezra. Um, are you really yeah. done this time? Are you done with your dial-up? I, so. I don't know, guys. I will. I'm. I'm trying over here. But <laughs> did you not feed your hamster in the wheel that's oh, running your man, internet? Brutal, 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 brutal. Anyway, so I think I think Mike's question again was on: um, Do we limit the amount of shares people can purchase? I believe is the, is the last question that I heard. So this is one of the the most challenging parts of fractional ownership businesses, right? Uh, and, it's, and it's a good problem to have. The problem is, is that we've been selling out of our of our merchandise set of our offerings very quickly. Uh, so some of them go in a matter of seconds, if not minutes, right? So what we try to do is try to get as many people involved on collectible and in these offerings as we can without limiting or making it so small that people don't have enough where they feel like it's worth their time, right? So we have tried to play around with this a little bit. We've implemented uh, these limits, right? So for the first 15 minutes, it'll be the smallest limit. For the next 45 minutes, we'll bump that up. And then after the first hour, you can buy uh, as much stock, if you will, in these offerings as you as you want. So. You, I said this to Ty earlier, but you mentioned credit card and opening up your account. Sure. And again, as a financial planner who tries to get people out of debt, the I and I, I know this isn't exclusive. I'm just trying to say that people using a credit card to buy anything, you know, using debt to buy anything is not necessarily great. We all use debt as a tool. I'm not saying it can't be used responsibly, but that just scared me. I, I can't. My clients can't open a brokerage account with me with a credit card. It's like, yeah. no, you have to, you have to give me money, like <laughs> real money. Yeah, Not, sure. Maybe I'll pay it off someday money. So how so does that work? So I'll say that the, the, the overwhelming, uh, you know, sort of uh, primary use of payments is ACH payments from their bank account. There are select clients. Uh, and usually when it's credit card clients, they're, uh, their lar larger size orders of people who just want to try to maximize their points. But yeah, I would say, you know, if I had to do a breakdown of uh, the percentage of people who pay by credit card versus ACH, it's probably 98 ACH to credit card. So it's a very, it's a very, very small amount. And again, you know, we, we have checks and balances to make sure uh, that people who do participate in the marketplace are verified. Right. And so, you know, we work with broker dealers, we work with custodians, we work with uh, a lot of really financialized, professionalized vendors to make sure that, again, it's not the wild, wild west. People have to go through uh, KYC AML checks, right? So again, it's very, very professionalized. And if there's anyone who, you know, we think is, um, you know, sort of not able to participate or can't afford to participate or has any sort of real uh, history that wouldn't allow them to maintain the integrity of our marketplace, then they're screened out uh, prior to them investing in IPOs. What's your, what's your kind of average initial investment that somebody makes? I hate, God, I use that word investment. What's the in, initial deposit that people make? Cause I believe that sports cards are not an investment. So I'm just going to get that out there. That's my feeling on it. And that's right or wrong. Yep. But, and I know there are a lot of people out there disagree with me. That's okay too. But yep. what's your initial, like, okay, I'm going to try this collectible thing out. I'm going to get in on, this card that I really like that I could really never afford to own on my own. Do they put in 500 bucks, a thousand dollars, a hundred dollars? What's it look like? So the, the minimum amount is really the cost of one share in an offering, right? So the minimum usually is $10 per share. Again, so if someone just wants to get in, test it out, you can buy one share, typically $10, $5, $20, right? It's usually very approachable price points. Uh, the average spend on our platform is, 
as of right now, it's roughly in the three to four hundred dollar range. Okay. Just curious. I mean, I, I didn't know if it was being, you know, people literally just testing it out and buying a few shares. Uh, do you? It's funny also to think you want to build a diversified portfolio. Where Ty and I have a, you know, we're doing a little uh, challenge with each other and another friend of ours, building a sports card portfolio ourselves. If we had twenty five thousand dollar, twenty five thousand dollars of just money, literally burning a hole in our pocket that we fictionally wanted to go buy these cards, which cards we buy and we can trade them once a month and, you know, sell and then rebuy and like a, like a stock portfolio. And it's, that's fun. Right. And there's, there's money to be made. No doubt. It's just, I think, um, I want to hold the card, right? I don't, I don't want to own a piece of something if just for that, just the way I think, right. Um, but Ruben's asking a great question. How many shares are in a card? I know that varies. So you can maybe explain how that gets determined. Sure. So really, really how that's determined is we work back from the valuation of the card, right? So every, or you know, any offering on collectible has a market cap. A market cap is just the total value of the offering to the public, right? And so really, you know, call it a hundred thousand, right? Just for, for ease of example, we'll price that. Uh, at ten dollars per share, right? So it'll be, um, you know, ten thousand shares at ten dollars a pop. That equals uh, one hundred thousand, right? So the amount of shares is directly correlated to the price per share and to the value of the total offering, right? And, and just to and just to go back to the point that you just made, Mike, and I think it's a really great point, and I, you know, I, I totally respect your opinion on that, right? You know, for one, uh, is a lot of people, you know, view this as a hobby, and that's fantastic. Right. You know, well, I don't think, you know, we ever got into this thinking that we're going to appeal to absolutely everyone. There are some people who view this as a legitimate alternative asset class. Right. And some people who view this purely as a hobby and collecting. And regardless of what you think, that's awesome. Right. We love this industry. We love this hobby. Everyone on our management team are collectors ourselves. I have cards. I grew up with cards. I have cards now. I collect physical cards myself. You know, our motto really is, is, look, we want you to be able to physically collect what's in your price point and what you can afford and invest uh, fractionally in items that would just be otherwise out of your price point, right? Or, 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 or previously unattainable to you. You know, if you think about it, 92% of the United States is unaccredited, right? So 92 out of 100 people probably couldn't afford things that we're putting on our platform, right? So it, it's not like it's, you know, a substitute for it. It's not like you collect physically or you collect fractionally, right? You know, you might, you know, you have amazing cards in your collection. Amazing. But you, you probably can't afford a PSA a 10, 53 Mickey Mantle that goes for millions of dollars. But now, but now you can get exposure to that card, right? So again, I don't, I don't view this as a substitute to physical collecting. I view it purely complementary, right? Collect and physically collect what's in your price point, what you love and what you want and what you want to see and touch every day. That's awesome. That's fantastic, right? But fractionally invest uh, in items that you wouldn't be able to afford and that you just want exposure to. I, I think, I think that's the, the, the easiest way for us to really look at it. I agree. I think that they're not mutually exclusive. They don't have to be right. I mean, someone may be exclusively a collector or exclusively a, a person making money in the hobby, but those don't, there are plenty of hybrid, like almost everybody's a hybrid to some level, right? Nobody's, it's rare to be exclusive one way or another. Um, you know, all of us occasionally sell cards or whatever. Well, we just, 
made profit, right? That's running a business. So I, I want to get this down too, because I think it's really important for you to help people understand, help me understand. So let's let's say I had a PSA 10 Jordan and I just saw the golden auctions and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to, uh, 780 sounds really good to me or whatever number. I want to IP, I want to, here's my card collectible, take it here, Ezra, put this out there. Does that, where does the valuation start? Like, because last week it was 200 or whatever, 250. So do I get a value? If I'm the owner of the card and I want to turn it over to be uh, sold off fractionally, first of all, how much of it do I get to keep? I don't want, I don't want to just give away the farm here. If I did, I'd just sell it to you. Right. right. Otherwise, what can I, I want to keep some of it. How much do I get to keep? Um, and if I keep more than 51%, then doesn't everybody else just lose their real, they have fractional shares, but congratulations, you have no voting power. If you don't, uh, if, if more than 51% isn't owned by other people, if I'm the owner and I kept 51, right. I, that's a lot of questions I'm throwing at you and a lot of, things. a lot of questions, but let me, let me try to answer every single one. Okay. And if I forget one, tell me. Um, so for one, I think you touched on a really awesome thing, right? is you, you don't necessarily want to sell all of the car, right? There's no other company in this category, whether it's fractional or collecting in any way, shape and form, who allows sellers to retain partial ownership, right? Collectible, out of everything Collectible has done, I'm incredibly impressed and proud of ourselves that we brought this concept of retained ownership to the marketplace, right? Think about how, how public markets work. You might own uh, 100 shares of Facebook in your portfolio, right? And you may have bought that at $50 per share. Well, guess what? Facebook's now at $250 per share. You might want to sell uh, some of your holdings, right? You might, might want to take partial profits and keep uh, some of your shares going forward because you think there's more upside. But you may want to take some chips off the table, take some profits, right? You may need liquidity or capital for something else. You may think there are better short-term opportunities, right? So again, we're the only game in town when it comes to uh, retaining partial ownership. And that's something that I think has been a, a boon to collectible and probably has allowed us to get our hands on some of the best supply the market has ever seen, or in some cases has never seen because people like this concept of only uh, selling partial ownership, right? So that's, that's that, right? So as it relates to voting rights and all that stuff, yeah, you, you're right, right? Um, you know, but that's, that's, that's how markets work, right? There are plenty of companies, public companies, where the board retains majority voting control, right? And again, some people love it because if you trust the board, then you're in the board's hands, right? Or if you trust, you know, that CEO, you're in that CEO's hands. Some people don't like it, right? Some people think that there's a degree of, of loss of control and that's fine, right? You know, we, we highly encourage people to do their own research, to do, own, to, 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 to do their diligence before investing. No one's forced to invest in any offerings on Collectible, right? Everything's very transparent. Everything's directly in the app. We give all the information needed to to figure out if you if that's an offering that you want to invest in, right? So again, you know, we I've heard both. I've heard some people say, "Look, I'm only investing in offerings where the seller retains a lot of equity," because that to me is an indication that the sellers think that there's a lot of upside left in the offering, right? If someone's willing to keep that much equity in an offering, they probably think that there's a reason for that, right? That there's that that they're going to make more money over time by retaining equity than by selling it all today. I've, we've had other people who say, I will not touch an offering where uh, there's a majority control owner because for that reason, I've lost some control, right? So I think the beauty of it is that it brings 
flexibility to the marketplace for sellers. That's a massive thing in this category. It has never existed before, right? Sellers have a degree of, of flexibility they've never had before. And it creates a little bit of a market in and of itself, right? Again, some people love it, some people hate it, but that, that's what makes a market, right? And so again, I think you know our, our job here was to provide liquidity and transparency and a new way of collecting, right? And I think we've done that. And you know, again, it'll be popular with some, some people, it'll be unpopular with others, but that's that's the beauty of a market. And that's what I think Collectible has been able to do. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. Where does the, where does the item physically reside? Yep. So we, we utilize best in class bank style vaults. We have three vaults currently um, all across the country. Again, everything that's on Collectible's platform is fully insured, uh, fully protected. Uh, and again, you know, we, we utilize best in class vaulting techniques. You know, in some cases, the offerings we have, it's a huge responsibility to vault these things, right? Like if you think about, we just put up a, a Thai Cobb uh, E98 PSA 10, right? That's been perfectly preserved since I believe 1910, right? We had, you know, 1953 uh, PSA 10, perfectly preserved since 1953, right? So again, huge responsibility, uh, both to our shareholders and to the hobby at large, to make sure that the items we're putting up on the platform are maintained, insured, and protected to the best that uh, we possibly can. And uh, ownership by the retained ownership of the owner is disclosed in the offering. Like, okay, we're really offering. Let's say we value the card at a hundred thousand dollars. Like, that's the value. Does yeah. that mean you're selling? And he's holding forty nine percent. Let's just say he's not okay. going to be a majority owner. That means you're selling $51,000 worth of shares to the public during the IPO. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Right. So exactly. And again, that 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 is fully uh, transparent, right? Both in our SEC filings, which are readily available. We provide links to that in the app, but also in the actual app copy, right? It's all bullet pointed, sort of key points about the offering. It's bullet pointed. We disclose uh, how much is being retained by the consigner, how much is being sold. So again, uh, all the information is laid out as transparently as we possibly can. And if you have any questions, we have a 24-7 support team who is there to answer any any questions you may have. Wow. Ty, you, you asked something now. I feel like I'm dominating the questioning. I just, I, I know you know. You absolutely are dominating. <laughs> I know. Let's be very clear here. Uh, no, look. I'm sold on collectible. I, I love the idea. I love the diversification aspect of it. I've been participating. Uh, I love the fact that we're doing a 25K portfolio, but you can go do basically the same thing in collectible. I got some of the 86 Fleer Wax, some of the Mantle, some of the Prism basketball stuff. I, I'm just excited about diversification. But I, I have a question for you in terms of the first four months. Which of the IPOs has kind of been the most surprising to you? Which one took off and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the excitement around this one. The opposite. There you go. There. So the IPO, I'm back, I believe. So let me let me start with the one that uh, surprised me uh, initially negatively that turned into a really positive, right? Um, when we put up the Magic Bird Dr. J PSA 10, uh, 80s scoring leader. I, I'll never forget. It was one of our first offerings. Maybe it was our fourth or fifth offering. We put it out for $352,000, right? Uh, this was a case where we got, uh, for lack of a better term, we got skewered, skewered for this valuation, right? There are people who thought we overpriced it. People thought we were crazy. The last comp 
was, I believe, in 2018, I believe, for 128000 And people kept saying to us, you guys have no idea what you're doing. This, uh, you know, it's overpriced. And we said, look, you know, this is where being, uh, for lack of a better term, focused in our category and experts in our fields really comes into play. We did a lot. We do a lot of homework on these offerings. We fight for our our shareholders and our users every offering we do. Right. So anytime we put something up, there's a lot of work that's gone into these things. We knew where the pro- the private markets were. We knew, sure, everyone wants to buy this car cheaper, but no one's selling it cheaper. Right. So we had a good feel for the valuation. Anyway, that we put that card up and we sold about 50% of it very quickly, and then it died. Literally died. No one, no one was investing for about three weeks. Uh, we were feeling the pressure. And then ultimately, uh, it did get funded. There were a couple people who came in and saw the value in it. Cut to two months later, we just sold it for $720,000, 100% uh, profit for, for our shareholders, right? So that, that, that surprised me in terms of uh, the initial reaction from the marketplace to the ultimate outcome for it. Uh, in terms of what surprised me, what surprised me about how quickly it went, you know, I don't, I, I, I honestly have been surprised by all of it, right? I've been surprised by, by all of it, right? And, you know, as a brand new platform, you know, you do a lot of work to get to the launch date and you really have no idea what to expect, right? You, you hope uh, that, you know, what you've done to educate the market, that what you've been building is something that people will like and the market will take to, but you, you don't know, right? You really don't know. And, uh, you know, I've just been, I think our entire team has been thrilled by the reaction uh, that we've received, the support that we received, the adoption that we've received, we're growing quickly. Uh, I think the the biggest thing that honestly has surprised me, and I think it's it's probably a byproduct of the fact that a lot of people are getting priced out of this market, right? Is that, you know, when we got into this, I, I heard numerous times from uh, people in the hobby, right? That the hobby does not take kindly to new entrants, that the hobby doesn't like new participants. They don't like new technologies. They don't like new ways of doing things, right? If you, if you rewind and you think about the grading companies, when the grading company, and you still feel with the grading companies, but when the grading companies were just getting started in the early 90s, people said that they were flash in the pan, right? Uh, that, you know, they, they were not here to stay. And fast forward to today, I don't think it's arguable that the grading companies are a major foundational bedrock of this industry, right? Think about even more recently with breaking culture. Right? I mean, people said the same thing with breaking culture, right? It's new, it's different, it's gambling, it's this, it's this that, and the other. I don't think you can argue that breaker culture and breaking has brought a tremendous amount of excitement to the industry, right? So again, I was fully expecting the worst. I was fully expecting... You know, all these negative uh, stories about us and all these blowout forums and what have you. But it's been to the contrary. There's been a tremendous amount of support. I think, you know, we've been uh, category focused from the get go. We have uh, told people that we're in it to grow the industry, that we love the hobby. And I think I think that comes across in our product. And I think that comes across in the way people uh, have received us. And for that, I'm grateful. I know our whole team is grateful. And we're really just excited for for, for what the future of the hobby looks like and, and will be. Ezra, what you just said is fascinating to me because a little light bulb just went off. 15 years ago, hey, go get your, I want you to send your card to this company. They're going to put it in a plastic coffin and they're going to assign a grade to it. The diehard collectors at the time were like, are you crazy? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I will never do that. That is ridiculous. And I'm going to pay them to do that? Like, wait, what? This makes no sense whatsoever. Now, grading is literally the standard. I mean, yep. it is 
you know, everybody, it's a very accepted practice, very common. I have an entire case back there full of coffin cards, like, cause they're in their plastic coffins, but it's, I, so that makes what you just said makes That's a great, I think it could be a potential parallel for this industry. Um, it, it doesn't mean that again, the adoption rate was slow on slabs. Like grading was a very slow burn through the card collecting world. It didn't just take off. Now you also didn't have the circumstances surrounding the hobby that exists today, especially with outsiders, so to speak, the people that may or may not have collected, they just heard about it on the news or something. Hey, I want to get some of that, you know, and they come in and it's like, well, okay then. Hmm. And the, and the information's traveling much quicker in terms of cycles. The <laughs> I asked you where the card resided. I'm going to ask you a technical term. Who technically owns the card? Is each card its own little LLC that we all own partnership shares in, essentially? Or Yeah, correct. If, exactly. Yep. So okay. if, you, if you think about it, right, so every, every offering and collectible is its own little mini company, right? right. Its own little mini LLC. And so we issue shares in that series LLC to uh, to all the investors on collectible, right? So really, what you do is, or what you have, you have ownership in the LLC, which owns the underlying asset. And each one's its own little silo, like it's its own thing. Every every single offering we do is its own little silo, its own little LLC. Okay, that makes sense because otherwise, who really owns the card? And the answer is the LL, the Michael Jordan PSA ten LLC owns the card. Yep. It's a company. Um, and wow, that's, that's cool. a lot to deal with you. <laughs> I want to, I want to go back to something you guys are just talking about. Cause we, at the very onset, we were talking about the explosion of the sports card market and, and Ezra, you were talking about all the macroeconomic stuff. And I think it's, it makes perfect sense, but I don't think it's any coincidence that we're seeing massive adoption to platforms like collectible and star stock and all these other things that are coming out loop, the loop app and the explosion of the sports card market and like we're seeing these continued bump upwards like i think i think they're working hand in hand right seeing these next levels continue to move upward because people are okay with it with, with buying into these new platforms finally okay with buying into these new platforms it's fascinating it's kind of it's kind of funny like, what's coming first what's actually affecting one or the other it's it's kind of neat to see i think they're pushing each other i think yeah. it, it's genuinely another card comes on you know another ipo and and look, y'all may be first to market, but there will be other people that try this idea. Yeah. And I think if you have a super high-end card, remember, think about how many people can actually buy that card individually. Your market's very small. If you, if you chop it up, so to speak, the market becomes very large. And we all want to sell our, whoever it is, if you're selling widgets, you want to sell a lot of widgets. And so that's a great way to sell a card that, would be normally only attainable by the few, right? Yeah. Look, I think I think that 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 was something that all of us at Collectible saw was uh, both a massive business opportunity, really. But you know, I think it was something that all of us thought was kind of necessary in this industry, right? You know, I think we really had seen prices continue to increase every year, right, for the past couple of years. And after talking with a lot of collectors, a lot of people we're feeling pretty priced out of this industry. And again, if people felt priced out 12 months ago, I can only imagine how people are feeling today, right? Again, you know, cards that were 
$265,000 last week, last week, or $738,000 today, right? So this to us was, uh, you know, both a big business opportunity, but really something that we thought was sort of like our responsibility to, I don't want to use the word save the industry because that's very, you know, sort of, uh, um, you know, a, a big thing to say, but something that we thought was so necessary, right? Again, we want to provide a way for people of all income brackets all across the country and soon all across the world to be able to love this industry, to participate in this industry at the highest of levels, at the highest of levels, right? Again, without companies like Collectible, think about it, right? It's the same concentration of collectors at the high end of the market, uh, whether that's institutional or individual, who are trading you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars on golden or heritage, right? And that's, that's great. I'm thrilled for those people who can afford it. But the reality is, is that 92% plus of the country can't participate, right? And that to us felt, uh, not only was it something that necessarily shouldn't be the case, but it was something that I think all of us thought was something that was holding the industry back from reaching its potential, right? And I'm, while, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to speak for you guys, right? I think uh, there's massive, massive growth ahead for this industry. Massive, right? I mean, think about it. I, you know, if you think about just take, take an informal poll. I don't know if you guys have done this. I've done this a couple of times. I think it's a, it's a really interesting sort of research for us, right? I've taken informal polls of my sports loving friends, right? Just sports loving friends and said, how many of you guys in the last 12 months have played fantasy sports, right? You know, in my group of friends, I don't know about you guys, but that's like 18 out of 20 in my group of friends. You ask that same question, how many of you guys have a bet on a sports game in the last 12 months, right? Again, out of my group of friends, that was like 10 to 12, right? You, you ask the question, how many of you guys have collected a card, a baseball card, a basketball card, right? It was like two, maybe, maybe two, right? But, you know, so for me, I was like, look, I think that's an opportunity in the sense where if you can make card collecting as, as easy, as fun, as intuitive, as, you know, sort of low barriers to entry, right? I thought that gap would close and close a lot quicker than I think any of us thought was possible. And certainly, uh, you know, through Collectible, I, a lot of those people who never knew anything about the industry know a lot about it and love it and are fascinated by it and are allocating some of the dollars that they would have gone to uh, risky binary sports betting and are now investing in the greatest uh, sports collectibles in history. It's, it's a pretty cool thing to watch. And I think ultimately, uh, again, you have companies like Barstool, companies like The Ringer, Gary Vaynerchuk, right? I mean, these are mass market, big ticket uh, outlets that are, are really promoting our industry, right? And so I think, I think there are some pretty, pretty awesome things happening. But aren't there some inherent problems with that idea and i'm look i'm just gonna play devil's advocate for a minute yes, because yeah. i'm trying to be confrontational i don't want to be confrontational no, i want to ask some questions look i've been doing this for 40 years literally this year 40 years i've been collecting cards mm -hmm. and there are things i used to buy in a dime store and you know they were just cool because they had pictures of my favorite players on them they're essentially still the same thing they're a piece of cardboard to me, an investment has some intrinsic value to it. Even if you own a building or you own shares of stock, you have the earnings behind. Like what determines the valuation of a company? You can look at a company and go, all right, pick Amazon, Facebook, name a company. Well, they have earnings to back up the valuation of that company. GameStop. <laughs> right. 
They don't. They have negative earnings to make their company. Well, there you go. And that's the point. There's some thing you can go look. And and when I own a share of that, I know what they're doing. They're doing something with their. They're producing something, whether it's a good or a service. And I own that. If I own a building, it's producing. It's providing housing or, or, uh, elder care or a hospital. Right. Mm-hmm. If I own shares of that, it's there's intrinsic value there. A baseball card has zero intrinsic value. Um, that's why I have a hard time calling it an investment. It, it has no value in and apart from itself, from apart from what others think it's worth. It's only worth what someone else thinks it's worth. It has no true value underlying that. That's why I have a hard, such a hard time with this. Change my mind on that. Change my. Tell me that's, you know, crazy. No, look, it's fair. I mean, look, here's 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 what I would say, right? We're not creating this asset class from scratch, right? If you actually rewind in financial history, the first financial asset class were collectibles, right? Actually, the the the, the stock market, as you and I know and love, is a much more recent concept than collecting, right? So it's actually been a store of value way before uh, stocks were a real store of value, right? So again, you know. We're talking about a time-honored tradition here, a time-honored uh, asset class, right? That a lot of people have viewed as an asset class. Again, prior to stocks being viewed as an asset class, right? So it's not—it's not like we're inventing this. Look, uh, this industry leave a lot of room. I think is something uh, that we're excited to be able to provide. Is am I here? Yeah, you're here. Sort of. I'm here. Okay. Sort of. Okay. So yeah, look, I think, so again, you know, this was an industry and asset class prior to stocks ever becoming an industry or an asset class. Right. So, so I'll start there. Uh, the, the data uh, in this industry, again, it is, it's pretty poor, right? And, and that, that I think is one thing that collectible will, will bring to the table is we're going to have a lot of data. We're going to have uh, day-to-day financial data to establish this as a true asset class. But if you look back over the past 12 years, right? And I, I know that there are some, you know, some questions around the integrity of the data, the composition of the data. But, you know, if you look at the past 12 years, right, in uh, what has only been considered a pretty strong bull market for stocks, right, that, uh, you know, sports collectibles have outperformed, have outperformed uh, a raging bull market over the past 12 years pretty handedly over a long enough period of time where I think you have to say that, it is a legitimate trend. There's also data which suggests that the correlations in collectibles, whether it's sports cards or art or wine or what have you, uh, that it exhibits what's called low correlation, right? So people you know, love it because it diversifies their portfolio and limits their downside risk in times of economic stress, right? So again, you know, I think the, the, the data and the longevity speak for itself. You look at rising prices, right? People are ascribing value to this, right? There's the emotional value. There's the scarcity value. Um, so again, you know, I think, I think, you know, again, with companies like Collectible, you'll be able to see data in a much more compelling uh, composition that I think will really make this asset class uh, more established and legitimate than probably uh, its, its perception is today. Ty, that last comment you showed that said intrinsic value is in the eye of the beholder. That is not true. Intrinsic value is actual value. Perceived value is in the eye of the beholder. Those are two very, very different things. 
and I want to ask you both a question. This is a question for this is a, I think just for guys that are in the hobby and and love the hobby, which all of us do. Yep. Ezra, I know you do too, very very much. Why is this? Ha- why? Why are cards? And this is maybe it's like the million dollar question. No, like literally the million dollar question. Why are cards that have no intrinsic value that are literally just pieces of cardboard with somebody's picture on it? Why are they going up? exponentially and they have been for and there it's been january's been the craziest month i've ever seen and that includes all of last year do you agree ty yeah i think so the last 30 days have been the craziest i've ever seen the sports car market so do you have any insight ezra as to why this is there's got to be a why because i go i scratch my head and i go that card was just worth half as much a week ago there's no nothing happened nothing happened intrinsically to make that card more valuable. I'll give you a second to think about that, but I'm just going to say, Mike, the case for like comparing stocks as investments because they have intrinsic value, they're driven by fundamentals is like blown out of the water after the last week. I think what we've learned is that it doesn't really matter. People pay what they want to pay and they can affect the stock price. And yeah, you have a share in the company, but you're never going to go you're never going to go get a piece of that that company. It's just a piece of paper. You're trading it in a portfolio. I think you right. could argue that there's more intrinsic value in an actual sports card that you can hold versus a share of stock that has nothing correlated to fundamentals. That's my quick. The, the funniest thing I heard about the whole GameStop thing, which I'll, I'll say this one thing about it, was I heard a quote from a guy talking about it. And, and the guy that started it all in their manifesto or whatever, after all this happened on Reddit, and he said, afterwards, he said, we can be because everybody's going like this is so stupid. Why would you pay this for GameStop? He's like, we can be stupid longer than you can be solvent. Talking to the uh, the hedge fund managers that are kind of getting bent over on this whole thing, and you're right. This is this whole last week and a half tie has shown us that nothing's fair. But GameStop's no more valuable than they were. That that just means people are throwing their money throwing their money at this with no rhyme or reason to it other than just I hope I can make some more money and that's kind of how I feel like sports cards are right now as an industry not right or wrong just I just that's my observation that people are just throwing money at it man I hope hope this card goes up because if it doesn't you know I've invested x percentage of my assets in it I hope it works out for me yeah, Ezra, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, Mike, I, it's 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 hard to argue with the sense where prices have moved so dramatically over the last week, right? And there ne- there hasn't really been any you know any story, any documentary, anything to really point to. Again, like with the case of the Jordan, we, re- we announced the record buyout just last week uh, or an offer for two hundred sixty five thousand. That same you know another ten traded for seven hundred thirty eight thousand. So it's sort of hard to argue with you in that point. Like why? Why? Why is this happening now? Right. So it's not think, an argument. It's just a question. Like I, I it's an yeah. open question. So look, I think. Look, my my personal belief, and uh, I think it's a belief that is relatively well informed, just in the sense where we talk to a lot of people. Uh, we're 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 trying to provide you know a little bit of a financial spin on this industry and to kind of prove uh, its real worth. Right. Um, I can tell you, there's there are really sophisticated, uh, you know, sort of money managers. Uh, asset allocators who are taking a real hard look at sports cards and sports collectibles as a real alternative investment asset class. You look at 
the total size of this industry, again, the data is really not that strong and not that transparent. I've heard estimates of the total you know, addressable market anywhere from 5 billion on the low end to upwards of 100 billion plus on the high end, right? Again, you know, if you put them in the context of some of these other alternative asset class categories, right? Real estate, uh, fixed income, muni bonds, right? Art, uh, watches, right? Like it's still a very small industry relative to pretty much every other alternative asset class. And so, you know, I think it's in a lot of ways the perfect intersection of passion and profits, right? People love sports. People love sports. There's a lot of passion in sports. And you can't argue with the data, Mike, right? Like you, you look at the data, there's been a lot of money to be made at the upper end of the industry. That's sort of inarguable, right? Like I think if you, if you were to say that there's, there has been money made in this, in this industry, you'd be ignoring absolutely hard concrete data, right? Of course. So, of course. Right? So, you know, it, it, just, it just is what it is. I don't, I don't think we're here to, you know, to say, you know, this is an asset class because we say so. No, this is an asset class because the data says so. And it said so over very long periods of time. There's some really compelling studies which show that this has not only uh, been a tremendous store value, it's been uh, inflation protected. It's been uncorrelated to other assets, right? Prices have appreciated uh, in a lot of ways uh, faster and better than traditional stocks. It's something that people tangibly uh, understand. They get it, right? I think there's there is a lot of you know a big lack of trust in institutions uh, in the stock market, right? You're seeing some moves that people think could be considered irrational, right? I think this is just a digestible, easy industry people understand that has really compelling data over long periods of time to back that up, right? And so I just think again, it's a big it's a big industry in the sense where it's a multi billion dollar category, but it's a small industry where you start getting a couple basis points. That's really all it takes: a couple basis points of real. Uh, passive allocations from these much larger uh, areas of the marketplace. And who knows? I mean, you could 5x, 10x, 100x our marketplace quicker than I think anyone thinks is possible. There are also companies that are introducing a form of leverage, a form of margin in this industry, right? Think about it, right? Think about, think about what the real estate industry right, would be without mortgages, Think about what the auto industry without be, would be without financing, right? This has been a cash industry for a long time. People are putting down cash. People are not really paying on margin or using leverage to invest. There are companies that are allowing you to now invest with leverage, right? So there's a lot of things, Mike, that are happening from a financial aspect in this marketplace. I think people are really underestimating the uh, the strong tailwinds at this industry is back again. Ju just my opinion, but people are really underestimating the convergence of two major bullish indicators happening at the same time. You have widespread consumer adoption. You're now being looked at as a three-headed monster to fantasy sports and sports gambling. Right? Uh, those are much larger categories when it comes to user growth. Right? So I think that's happening again. Barstool Sports, The Ringer, uh, Gary V. You're seeing Steve Cohen. You're seeing you're seeing Nat Turner invest uh, in CLCT, right? Uh, the maybe the, the maybe maybe <laughs> the, the the but you know they they've shown a real interest in purchasing that company. We'll we'll see if you know if if the shareholders and the board accept it, right? But guys like Steve Cohen and Nat Turner do not invest in the ninth inning of industries. They invest in the first inning of industries, right? A major major growth stories, right? So you're seeing that happen. But really, what I think you're seeing happen 
um, is the institutionalization right, of this asset class. And I, I do think that the data is pretty compelling when you look at this as a potential asset class. Fair enough. Um, there's another question here that I want to get back to maybe some basics. I, I don't want to get off in the weeds and maybe Ezra and I can talk for six or seven hours okay, sure. about all this stuff. But a great question. I think it was, uh, so you guys get this card, you IPO it. Yep. At what point does the is the decision made let's say y'all get an offer or you just say, Hey, we, we can sell this card for a hundred percent return. Let's say it doubles sure. and you go, all right, we've got this legit offer to sell this card for twice what we, what we, uh, twice the initial offer. Sure. Do you go to the shareholders and ask for a vote? Yeah. Do you, uh, what, who makes that ultimate decision, the shareholders or you guys? Yeah. So right, so it's a it's a great question, right? So uh, in our short history, we've gotten I believe five buyout offers on our assets so far. Right? We've probably done thirty to thirty-five offerings, and in just the first couple of months, we've had five acquisition offers. Uh, I believe uh, three of them have been accepted, and two of them have been declined. Right? Uh, look, you know, as we said at the start here, right? You're asking, you know, how, you know, what do you actually own, right? How is this structured? Right. So, again, it's effectively a private company and shareholders own shares in that private company. Right. So it is it's shareholders assets. Right. We are the manager of those assets, but it is very much shareholders assets. As a result, we empower shareholders with a vote, a pro rata vote uh, based on uh, what percentage of the asset or the company they own. Right. So, you know, our process is, is when an acquisition offer has been received. Uh, assuming it's a fair or creative offer to shareholders, we'll take a 48-hour uh, pro rata vote for shareholders, right? And so if the majority of shareholders, and that's considered to be 50.1% of shareholders, elect to sell the asset, uh, it gets passed up to Collectibles Independent Advisory Committee. It's a five-person advisory committee. And they really uh, just evaluate the offer to make sure that it's a fair deal, right? If it's a fair deal based on today's market conditions, we will go along with the shareholders' wishes, right? So legally, uh, the final say is with Collectible as the asset manager. But again, we're there to protect shareholders, to make sure that there's no foul play, that there are people who are not trying to kind of game the system or uh, anything of that. So if shareholders vote to uh, sell it, provided it's a fair deal for shareholders, we'll sell it. I think you've seen that from us three times already. And how that process can't be overnight, meaning just in the last week, you might've gotten an offer to sell that Jordan for 500 three days after you bought it or, or offered it. Well, by the time that offer gets up to let's say everybody approves it. Well, now it's with the velocity of the market is what I'm talking about. It can go both ways, right? You get an offer for half a million and a week later, the card's trading at 125,000. Oh, we should have taken that 500,000. We, we were going to take it, but now the guys, you know, yeah. with the velocity, how do you deal with that? How long does that process take? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So it takes, it takes 48 hours, right? So it takes from the time that we receive that's it. Pretty to, that's pretty quick. Yeah. So, so, right. So it takes 48 hours from the time that we receive the offer. Uh, and again, we, you know, we verify that it's a legitimate offer. Uh, we have the seller's place the money uh, in an escrow account, right? So it's fully verified. If we accept the offer, then it's 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 a confirmed uh, sale, right? But again, we try to make it, you know, to that point, it is a fast moving market. The velocity is unlike anything I think any of us have ever seen. Hopefully, 
you know, while it's exciting today and it's thrilling and all that stuff, it doesn't really necessarily feel healthy how quickly things are moving, right? So we're hopeful that things stabilize a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, we, it's a 48-hour shareholder vote. After 48 hours, we, we announce the results and either it's accepted and we pay out shareholders pro rata to their ownership position or it's declined. And if it's declined, then the asset will continue to live and trade in our secondary market. I was just going to say, it's a perfect segue into really, I think the most important thing right now is this the the introduction of the secondary market. Not going to have to require you to wait for a liquidation event at this point. Explain the secondary market and kind of what's going to be happening going forward. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're thrilled about it, right? We're, we're absolutely thrilled. I think there's the... Uh, the negative feedback that we've heard on fractional platforms in general was that it's easy to get your money in, but not so easy to get your money out, right? And, and this is something that we've taken very seriously. Uh, and we built out a secondary market that will open up beginning this Friday, right? So starting this Friday, you'll be able to place bids and offers on eligible securities that are available to be traded. So we're incredibly excited about this. I think it'll introduce a whole new uh, wave of activity on the platform of people interacting with collectible. Uh, so again, we're, we're, we're pumped about it. The, the way it's going to work is we're introducing twice per week uh, trading per security, per offering, right? So we've, uh, we've created our schedule. Uh, we'll, we've categorized it by sport, right? So if it's uh, basketball, it'll trade always trade Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, if it's baseball, it'll be Mondays and Thursdays, whether it's a card or memorabilia, what have you. Uh, if it's any other sport besides baseball and basketball, it'll trade Wednesdays and Mondays. So that football, golf, hockey, you name it, it'll trade Wednesdays and Mondays. Uh, we're the first company that's introducing uh, what we're calling a continuous intraday market. Right. So we're, we're starting small because we want to make sure that we nail this. Right. But ultimately, I think where we're going is we hope that this is going to be a liquid 24-7 marketplace. You could be sitting on your couch on a Saturday morning. You could be trading Mickey Mantle. Right. Or. You know, you could come home Friday evening after a nice dinner and a couple glasses of wine and you could be trading LeBron James shares. Right. So we're, we're excited about what this could do uh, for what it, it could introduce for the liquidity that it'll provide for the data transparency uh, that we're going to give off. So, again, we're, we're tremendously excited. It opens up this Friday uh, and then we're going to do twice per week trading for eligible securities. And from three to four p.m., it'll be called Power Hour, the first fractional company to introduce continuous intraday trading. Wow. So many <laughs> questions that come to mind on that. Fire away. I, I, I have one question too, but I know uh, you probably want to get them out. The that we're already over an hour. That was, this was literally the fastest hour I've had in <laughs> my entire life. How much uh, time do you have, Ezra? Can we talk for a little bit longer? I, I have as much time as you want, guys. But, oh boy. Okay, you're asking a great question. Or, uh, that's amazing that you allow people to do that. Who determines those prices? Are they determined? I mean, I have so many like, okay, how does it really work? Like <laughs> based on what valuation are you trading those shares at? Are you going to, it's going to be a fixed price throughout the day. Hey, we're all, you can sell them at this and whoever wants to buy them at that can buy them and you, and you match them up, right? You match up the yeah. order. just like, sure. a again, uh, we, you know, we collectible are completely out of the equation, right? So the only time we, uh, have play any part in the valuation is on the IPO, is on the initial offer. At that point, it's a marketplace like anything else, right? So when there's more demand, when there are more buyers and sellers, it'll go up. When there's more sellers and buyers, it'll go down, right? It's purely supply and demand, just like any other marketplace, right? So uh, before the yeah, items... 
can you do limit orders and like so it's it's all it's all limit orders right so there'll be as as chris just said right it's a bid ask system right so you can place bid asks in the marketplace uh, again only limit orders uh we do something we're doing what's called post only mode up until that 3 p.m uh, when it transitions into power hour right so uh we'll effectively build a book as we call it in finance talk, yep. right? so we'll build a book so we'll we'll see you know where the market is where buyers and sellers match up again you'll be able to see in the marketplace uh just through collectible where buyers and sellers are right and so you'll be able to match go higher go lower however, however you want to be kind of uh positioned right for that marketplace so yeah that, that's that's how it works is that again it's just users peer-to-peer People going on to Collectibles app, submitting bids and offers where they want to buy or sell, will match them up at a certain time. Anyone who's not matched up, it'll go to a continuous intraday trading for one hour, the final trading day, sorry, the final trading hour of the day, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard, twice per week per security. It's funny, the um, apparently the chat is not good enough because my phone is blowing up with friends asking questions about all this stuff. I can't get to all of them, but one that's been coming up a few times that I've seen is, you know, look, I, you're a great guy, Ezra, but y'all aren't doing this for free. So hmm. where where's the fee structure? How does that work? How does collectible make its money? Yeah. Look, I think if you look at our fee structures, we're, we've dramatically lowered fees across the industry compared to pretty much any other sales channel, whether it's uh, auction houses, which could charge maybe 20% buyer's premiums. We sell this all, all night. At Golden, right, uh, or at Sellers Premiums, ten percent on auction houses. eBay, who knows? You're you're probably paying, you know, like a mid-teens type sellers fee or buyers fee, what have you. Uh, collectible does make money on the IPO and the successful completion of the IPO, uh, and ultimately, we are going to take a one percent transaction fee on the secondary market. There are other, uh, you know, sort of fees or you know, sort of things to, with the business model that we may introduce in the future. Uh, but for now, it's uh, you have the primary issuance. Where we're making uh, a cut, probably you know seven to ten around there on the primary issuance percent, and then ultimately we'll take a, a transaction fee per trade on the secondary market. Fair enough. I mean, you, you got to keep the lights on. I get it. I'm not. I don't have a problem with with that. It's just, you know, we call it the juice. Like, how much is the juice? You know, and it's on an auction house, like you said, it can be twenty to 23 percent, which is you have to think about that when you're buying it, right? I got to add the juice because. If I'm buying something for a thousand dollars, it's not really a thousand dollars, you know. It's going to cost me more, and so I know on your website, y'all probably do all that stuff and talk about it. I'm sure. Um, one guy asked me on my phone. Uh, I'm not going to say who, but uh, can you ask him how the hell you log into your account through the website? <laughs> <laughs> that can't be that difficult, can it? Well, so so I think I think here's where he's getting tripped up. You can't log into your account on the website. You have to do it through the application, right? So oh, as okay. of now, it's a it's a, yeah. web, it's a web based. Sorry, it's a it's an app based product exclusively. We are uh, in the process of building out a web based version of Collectible. Hopefully, we'll have that out in the next couple months. Uh, again, so you know you'll you'll be able to both hopefully in the near future both app and desktop. But for now, it's just app only. Oh, is that Paul who I talked to the other day? It is. Oh, yeah. isn't it? Okay. Paul, Paul is the latest, uh, the latest add to Collectibles team. We're really excited about Paul's addition. He brings a tremendous amount of experience and love with the industry. Uh, Paul is someone who came from a traditional finance background who views this, Mike, very much as an alternative asset class. So 
if I you want to that. <laughs> but yeah, we're again, you know, I, I, I do, I, you know, that's a, a good segue. I do want to just say one thing. We have a tremendous team. I mean, we have a tremendous team uh, on Collectible, really talented people who are fighting for our users, fighting for this industry every day. We're introducing a lot of innovation, a lot of new features, uh, a, a lot of things that we've done different and unique for this industry. We we're the first company that introduced uh, the concept of retained ownership. Right, huge, huge innovation. I, I, I don't think that can be understated. Huge innovation for the first company who's bringing an intraday continuous trading component to the industry. Huge, huge innovation. And you know, again, it's the we're we're a team that loves this industry, that wants to grow this industry, that wants to democratize this industry, and we're operating at a pace that I don't think fractional companies have ever seen before. And you know, that's because we're focused, we're hungry, we're, we're we've got that underdog mentality, and we're not going to stop. Look, I applaud, I applaud what y'all are doing. Like genuinely, I mean, it's innovative, it's creative and, uh, it's, it's itching a scratch for a lot of people that are out there that, that want to participate in these high end sports cards that can't otherwise. And, uh, so kudos to you. I mean, y'all are doing it right. I just, I'm just asking a lot of questions for other people. I no, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, look, yep. uh, Mike, I, again, I'll say this, right? You know, like I, I, I said this at the start, right? I, I don't think we ever got into this thinking we were going to convince every single person in this industry to buy into what we're doing, right? And, and that's okay, right? Um, you know, there, there are some things that I just want to physically collect that I don't want to necessarily own it uh, in an app, right? There are things that I own currently that I love that I just like seeing and holding, right? So, and that's okay. Our motto is collect what you can afford to collect physically, and invest in what you think is a real investment and invest in things that you would never otherwise be able to afford to own physically. Again, with Jordan cards, you know, pop what 300 plus that are trading at 738 grand. Uh, you know, it's just pricing out more and more people who would love to participate at the highest end of the market. And that's, and that's where we come in. That's a pretty high market cap for that card, by the way. Incredibly high market cap for that card. <laughs> I mean, look, if there, if there are 300 plus Jordans, I don't know what the exact number is off the top of my head, but 300 plus PSA 10 Jordans, right? Each one now, assume each one is really what it is, 730 grand, whatever that is. You're looking at a $250 million market cap for Jordan 10s alone. That's that. I mean, I mean, that's a public company right there, right? I mean, it's a small public company. So I have a friend that bought a Jordan last year at the National in Chicago, um, and he paid $24,000 for it. For a 10. It's a pretty good return. Very good decision he made. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought he was absolutely, I thought he was crazy at that. I was like, you're nuts. You're absolutely nuts to buy this card for that. Your lack of foresight is concerning. I cannot believe this thing. <laughs> uh, all right, questions. We're, we're not gonna we're not gonna let you go yet. So you mentioned international earlier. What's the plan to get international involved? I think it's important. Uh, look, I, we, we would have loved to be global you know, three, four months ago, right? Um, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is when you're dealing with securities, which we are, right? Everything is, you know, has to be secure, you know, sort of securitized and regulated by the SEC, right? Which I think conveys a huge degree of consumer confidence, but it does introduce a lot of securities regulations, right? Every country and even, you know, even provinces within countries have their own securities laws that we have to navigate, right? So, and again, you know, it's not just collectible who's doing this, right? We work with a lot of different vendors, broker dealers, custodians, what have you. So we need the cooperation of the entire infrastructure around us to be able to go global. As soon as, as we're, we're working on it, believe me, we're working on it. And as soon as that's possible, we'll do it. It's just, it's just not possible today. Got it. So you have to be based in the U.S. Period. 
as of now, yeah, you have to be you have to be based in the U.S. and you have to be over the age of 18. If you're over the age of 18 and in the U.S., you are eligible to participate in our marketplace. Very cool. Okay, uh, I I want to know: Do you guys have like an internal list of cards that you're like you're you're searching for to add to your IPOs, or are you just waiting? You're responding to what people provide you. Kind of what's sure. your process yeah. for going out and deciding what you're going to IPO? Yeah, both. Uh, so yeah, we 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 keep sort of a, uh, a a wish list, if you will, of of assets and cards that we would just love to have in the platform that we think would be awesome for the fractional community to be able to own and invest in. Uh, you know, our model is primarily consignments, right? And we have purchased a couple items here and there, but you know, overwhelmingly it's consignments. So a lot of it is just incoming. We field a lot, a lot of incoming consignment offers. You know, we probably accept maybe one out of every 10 that comes in, right? So we do a lot of diligence, a lot of homework, a lot of research and everything we put on the platform. Um, but yeah, so both, we, we, you know, we sort of have the wish list. We're, we're aggressive in trying to pursue those things, but uh, we, we also field a lot of incoming offers. What's the minimum threshold? Like what, what's the price where you're like, it has to be over this price or we're not gonna roll it out? Well, the 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 lowest offering value we've done is I think twelve thousand twelve thousand five hundred at the moment. It's the lowest we've done. Now, what we can do, which we have done a couple of times, is we create baskets. We call them baskets, right? So if there's one item, one card, you know, one jersey, what have you, that's under that twelve thousand five hundred marker, that really makes sense for doing the legal work, doing the securitization work to kind of bring that to the market. We can package them together. We call them baskets, right? So you, you know, we've done it a couple of times. You saw, you know, thirty rookie cards, right, um, in one basket. We, we have uh, an offering coming up with three jerseys, part of one basket. So we, we can get a little creative to kind of get to that threshold. In general, if it's under twelve thousand five hundred as a total offering, it's it's not really worth it for us to kind of do all the things we have to do to, to bring it to the market. We we call those mutual funds. <laughs> Well, that's that's what they are, right? They're 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 mini portfolios, if you will, right? So they're 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 little mini diversified exposures to whatever that offering is, whether that's you know we, we did one for uh, I believe it was Zion Williamson, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, uh, and John Morant, right? So we we had, we had their rookie cards on one basket. It was like the 2018-19, you know, sort of young studs basketball uh, basket, right? We. we so yeah, we're we're getting creative. We're, I, th I think you'll probably see a lot more of that type of stuff coming for us. Whether again, it's vintage baseball, vintage basketball, modern basketball. I, I think you'll you'll start to see uh, a lot of these basket concepts being rolled out by collectible. And you know, next Ed, I love that. I have thirty four thousand eighty seven tops Jose Canseco's over here. If mm -hmm. I can just get those to you at a dollar a piece, we can just IPO that at thirty four grand, and exactly. I'll be done. Exactly. I exactly. mean, why not? I mean. Because you can IPO it at, at twice that, and I'll be happy. Like, let, let's just get rid of those thirty-four thousand uh, extra Jose Canseco's I have. No, um, the basket idea is very interesting, and I think that's that's an area of the market that because again, you got the high end stuff for sure, but there's only so much of that, right? There's a lot of the other stuff that has value. It just may not be the the big big dollars on a single item, and and clumping them together is. A, a huge, I think, opportunity if people start doing that in mass. So, what else do you have, on, Ty? Because we've been on a while. I feel bad. Yeah, for yeah. you're right. What What else can we be looking forward to in 2021? Get Get us excited about the next couple quarters. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. the marketplace is big. It's going to be a, a massive focus for you. But what else? What else can we be excited about? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're operating at a ridiculously fast pace, right? So if we, if we take a step back, and you know, we just launched five months ago, right? So we just just launched. We've we have uh, we've completed thirty, I believe, thirty four IPOs. Uh, we're launching a secondary market. We have forty plus that are about to be qualified by the SEC, right? So we'll bring those to the market as soon as possible. We have an additional thirty million dollars worth of stuff that's under consignment. We'll bring those to the market as soon as we can. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, athlete-related partnerships that we'll be announcing. Uh, there could be some other partnerships with companies that you'll see from us. Um, we signed, you know, our first uh, real, you know, we call it athlete ambassadorship agreements. The first one was with Emmett Smith. So we're taking items directly from the athletes uh, collection and IPOing them and doing a lot of innovative concepts around it. Uh, we have a very exciting content offering that we're going to be rolling out. We have a very exciting live event offering that we're going to be rolling out once COVID lifts. There's, I mean, there's, there's just a lot in the pipeline for us, a lot in the pipeline. So without going into too much details, because we haven't made them public yet. Um, again, I think you're, you're going to see uh, collectible continue to operate at a pace that the market really has never seen before. And think of this industry in a different way that I think the market has ever seen before. And uh, we have the team, we've got uh, the shareholders who, who can help us execute on it. And again, we're just, we're just really pumped. Really, seriously, we're, we're very pumped for the industry. I think you know, all three of us here, and I'm sure everyone who's tuning in late on a Sunday night, uh, we, all, we all love the industry, right? I think all of us see massive potential for it. And there's been a few things which have held us back for far too long, right? There's been a lack of transparency. There's been a lot of bad actors. Um, you know, there's been a lot of other things, right? There hasn't been liquid. Right, it's priced people out of the market. So I think collectible, while not perfect, we're we're gonna, you know, we're definitely gonna make errors right along the way. But you know, our hearts are in the right place. We're very transparent with everything we do. We're hungry, and again, we're just excited for this industry. And we, you know, just want to continue to do our thing. And we appreciate everyone's support. Beautiful. Look, I had you on in October. You convinced me uh, at that time, and I've been a a big advocate and big user of the, of the platform. I, I love what you guys are doing. So thanks for giving us time tonight, man. We really awesome. appreciate it. Awesome. And, and look, my, my goal for tonight was to convince Mike to join our fractional platform. So the, the key question for Mike is, are you convinced? The jury's still out. Let me leave it at that. <laughs> okay. But I'm, I'm uh, look, I'm again, it, I didn't come into this. Like this is a terrible idea. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's not true at all. It's simply, I wanted to, I hadn't gotten to speak with you, Ezra, and I'm, I'm glad I get to, uh, and just ask you questions. And, uh, I appreciate your openness and honesty about everything and it's, it's enlightening. So thank you. Of course. Awesome guys. Well, look, thanks. Thanks for the time. And so it was a lot of fun and, uh, I'm happy to come on whenever. Beautiful. Hey, more vintage cards. That's all I'll yeah. say. Yeah. More vintage cards. We have, we have plenty coming. We have plenty coming. We've got some Hank Aaron's. We've got some Willie Mazes. We've got some Koufax. We've got some Ruth. So there's, there's plenty of vintage coming, Mike. Love it. Don't get Mike too excited over there. Come on now. <laughs> That's all he had to say was Ruth. And now I'm convinced. No. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Have yourself. Right. Thanks. Goodbye. Well, good night. Uh, all right. Leaves. They just leave. We're still live. Real quick. I know. You good? It just was that, enjoyable? that was enjoyable. It was awesome. That was up your alley. That went so fast, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot there, right? I mean, there's just a lot there to digest and a lot there to, to get behind. I'm telling you, man, my phone is blowing up, dude. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm again, I'm not a hater. I'm just trying to understand. That's all. Now, there's some good questions. You could tell Ezra's pitched that about a 
trillion times, right? He's got it down and no I, doubt. he's a smart dude. I think they're in pretty good hands there. So yeah, uh, it's going to be fun. Wondering. There, you, you, it's funny to see, obviously you see the trends and everything else and eBay and star stock. And then you see some of the valuations of these massive cards and collectible double in a week. I mean, how hard we've never seen this type of activity where you get a $400,000 card that is $700,000 a week later. My goodness. It's, I don't, and that's the why that's, and nobody can answer that. It's, it's, it's a essentially rhetorical question uh, to most of us that have been in the hobby a long time. I remember when we were kids, or at least when I was a kid, you're younger than me, lucky guy. Uh, I used to think, God, I'm going to retire someday on this stuff, right? Well, now that's not so far fetched. If you did, if you played it right, you know what I mean? The guy that bought the Jordan a year and a half ago. I mean, he, that's a lot, that's life changing money, you know, and that's not just one card. This is yeah. the whole industry. Yeah. And, and, and that's where you get into the responsive. Is it responsible? Like if you own that card, like why would you keep it longer? Cause it's going to go to a million. Maybe what if it goes back to 50,000 and why would it, that's my, like, what would, what would be the circumstances in the world that would cause all those things to happen it's it's complex and i don't think people get how complex it is it really is well it's interesting too because what what the fractional shares are doing is it's it's consuming more of these big cards and, and so many people are diversified and have little pieces of it where it's going to be really hard to move those again in the market right so like it it's going to suck up some of those that inventory and that's it's going to squeeze the market a little bit higher i know but that's not forever right i mean that's right, right. I'm not saying there's not upside to the market at all. In fact, I think I think we're in the third inning. You know, <laughs> first off, Kevin doesn't like the app. We understand that, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> uh, and his brother doesn't think this makes sense. Yeah, I can talk to Kevin private. Kevin's one of the guys been blowing up my phone. So uh, I, figured, I figured that was Kevin once I saw the. But. Uh, you know, I, I just love that Ezra's w a willing to get on with us, right? And just talk through it. You know, I mean, that's that's huge part number one of winning over consumer confidence is here it all is. No, I'm serious. Like if you're gonna do uh, this, I'm laughing at this. Chris popping in here, giving us a super sticker. He knows how much I I, I loathe this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's our first super chat tonight. That's good. We don't oh we don't live on super chats, guys. I promise. So I mean, we appreciate it, but that's completely not necessary. Um. Anyway, uh, thanks for setting this up, man. Let yeah. me be a part of it. I appreciate it. You got it. Well, let's get live again in a couple of weeks. We will. We'll come back, guys. With I don't know, because the Jordan then will be one point four million by then. So we'll come back and help you with that. Help you understand how that happened. So. I'm a fractional owner, so I hope it goes up to 1.5 million. You own the Jordan? That and the 86 Wax. I was a fractional owner in that too, so I'm pretty excited about that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You'll be retiring in a few weeks, I guess. Right, with my few hundred dollars in fractional <laughs> ownership. Uh, all right, man.
Have a great week. Thank you guys for the great questions and, and staying with us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. See you guys later.